Good evening, good evening, good evening. We welcome you with Jesus' joy and hallelujah happiness on the last night of this revival service, uh, March Gladness. And we're certainly delighted and excited about what God is going to do on the last night of the watch. Amen. I see that many of you all are coming in as far as our virtual congregation. I want to continue to ask you if you would. Um, Come on and join us as far as the Zoom virtual congregation is concerned, as well as on our various platforms. I want you to do me a favor. Uh, if you're watching us on Facebook, YouTube, or our church website, live chat, we want to welcome you to what we call St. Paul Online. And our digital ministers and social media influencers are ready to engage you this evening. So do me this favor. If you're watching us on Facebook, share... To your personal timeline without starting a separate watch party. We want to make sure that we all stay in the chain, same chat stream. You can tag others that you want to invite to your post. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel and encourage others to subscribe as well. We want to get up to at least 1,500 by the summer. And then text the link of this worship service to your personal network. And if you're in our chat room on our church website, we want you to click the invite button and share this experience with others. As you engage in worship tonight, let us know who you are sharing this experience with. If you're sharing with friends using the Zoom or another video chat tool, let us know that as well. And, of course, if you're into taking selfies and posting them, go ahead and do that. Post it to our social media page. Uh, use the hashtag, uh, hashtag S-T-P-A-U-L-O-Line or St. Paul Baptist NC Online. So go ahead and show those pictures. We want you to engage us as far as this virtual space is concerned. So we're getting ready to start our worship experience. I'm going to ask that uh, Reverend Peyton see he's going to come and he's going to lead us on tonight. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking for the Lord to bless us in a mighty way. So just do me a favor, wherever you are right now, go ahead, put those hands together, give the Lord the praise uh, as Reverend C comes to lead us in worship. Thank you, Pastor. I want you to keep those hands clapping, church, because, man, God is good. He is good all the time, and we can praise him in this wonderful place and thank him for getting us through the storm that was today. Amen. But we see the sun comes right, right afterwards, and we can thank God at least just for that, if anything. Man, let us praise him with our lips, with our song, as our choir joins, uh, it help, joins together in praise of his wonderful name with this opening hymn. Thank you all so much. Let's do this thing. Oh 
God's doing that the song that we have just sung will flow right into our scripture passage uh, for us this evening. Uh, if you can and you have your Bibles available with you, please turn to John chapter 12. Uh, we'll be reading from verses 20 through 33. Again, that's John chapter 12. We'll be reading uh, verses 20 through 33, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. The scripture says in John 12, 20 through 33, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. 
The crowd was there and heard it said and it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you, Lord, this evening, thanking you, God, for the simple gift of your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have shown your love through, Lord, in such a marvelous, uh, such a marvelous and magnificent way. God, you have shown us that you care about us, that you love us, that you will be there for us no matter what it is that we are going through. No matter what it is, God, that we have on our minds, whatever stresses that may that there may be, God, you calm them. You calm them like you calm the storm. And God, I pray, Lord, that tonight, man, you would draw us, God, to yourself. Draw us to yourself, God, that we can taste and see that you are good, Lord. That we can taste and see that you are wonderful and that your name is worthy to be praised no matter what it is, God, that we have going on in our lives. God, tonight, give us that opportunity to praise you with our lips for who you are and for what you have done for us, especially, especially through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
a favor wherever you are right now if you would just lift up your hands and worship our God and just glorify who he is keep it right there Scott keep it right there just, come on let's just glorify him I've dis I'm discovering in this technological space that if you do it right, nothing can come between you and God. Emmanuel, God is with us, even in the virtual space. If you're not too scared, not too afraid, at your kitchen table, at your coffee table, in your bedroom, in your living room, wherever you are right now, just lift up your hands and just give him praise right now. I, I, I double dog dare you to give him praise right now. Just glorify him. Just glorify him. Don't let the space nor the place inhibit you from giving God the praise that he deserves. It's the last night of the revival service. First night we stepped out on dry ground. Last night we getting out, got our feet wet. I don't know what's going to all happen tonight, but I want to just give God the glory that, that he so richly and rightfully deserves right now. That he so richly and rightfully deserved right now. And, 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 and it may only be 12 folks in here tonight in the sanctuary, but all across Charlotte, Mecklenburg area, even across this country. Hundreds of people are online right now watching us. And I just wonder wherever you are right now, on Zoom, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Vimeo, on the phone. Give the Lord a Shabbat praise right now. And glorify him and honor him because he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you to our ensemble who have blessed us in a tremendous way as far as uh, worship is concerned tonight. Um, and I, I come before you um, just so delighted and elated about what God is allowing for us to do in this virtual space. And um, how God allows for the work of the church, the work of ministry, the work of the kingdom to continue to move forward. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah. There are a couple of things I want to do um, before I um, ask you to give on this evening. A couple of things I want to do, and I'm going to engage in this after uh, the sermon, but I want to put it on your hearts right now. We want to do a couple of things. We want to lift up uh, in our prayer time persons uh, who may have been impacted as far as today's storms uh, here in the Carolinas as well as across the country. That storm has cut a swath of tornadic activity and we want to lift up persons who have been impacted. The, the other prayer concern I want to bring before you that is on the national scene is uh, to pray for our uh, Asian brothers and sisters who feel very unsafe right now uh, in this country because of the negative rhetoric that has been um, thrown upon their personhood. And so we want to be mindful that, of course, um, in Atlanta, we are aware that 
uh, three massage parlors were uh, hit by a person that um, makes a certain claim, but I still maintain that there is some tinge of racism as well as misogyny uh, that was engaged as far as those acts are concerned. And so we want to lift up the Asian community and, and we're going to be intentional uh, during the prayer time after we hear a word from the Lord. We've had uh, some great preaching this week. And I want to thank uh, Dr. Charles Goodman as well as Dr. Gina Stewart uh, for what they have shared with us on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, uh, respectively. And we're looking forward to Dr. Maurice Watson blessing us on tonight. However, before we do that, I want you to know that uh, as we make ready to give, uh, that giving is a very integral and important part of worship. You and I are most like God, uh, not when we love, but when we give. We are told in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting or eternal life. And so as you and I prepare to give an offering on this evening, um, I want to encourage you to give your very best offering that you feel led to give. I'm going to give $100 tonight as far as the offering is concerned. And uh, if you feel led to join or match or even exceed, I invite you to do that. But I want you to give your very best offering tonight. There are three ways you can give here at St. Paul. The first one is by you to send in check or money order uh, to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or you can bring cash, check, or money order to the church. Call the church first at 704-334-5309. And uh, make sure someone is here to receive your offering. And you can drop your offering off at the church. Another way you can give is through the website. Uh, either through ACS or the app Church Life. And then the last week you can give is through the app called Givelify. You can download that app to your smart device, connect it to your favorite credit card, and in three clicks you can give. So as we prepare to give as far as uh, tonight's offering is concerned, uh, I want you to, uh, if you can, uh, take your offering, place it in your right hand, lift it uh, to the sky. We want to give God what's right, not what's left. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come on the last night of the watch and we come and we give. And we give in such a manner, oh God, not looking for something, but we give because of who you are. We give because you're wonderful, you're kind, you're marvelous, you're sovereign, you're majestic. You're just absolutely incredible. You're mind blowing. We give because of who you are. And even though we know that there are blessings that, that's connected to giving, we know, if we're honest, that you've done more for us than we deserve. And so we come and we give, not grudgingly, nor out of necessity, but we come giving cheerfully. Why? Because you love the cheerful giver. And so, Lord, even right now, bless this offering because we do it for you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray and we claim it done. Amen. Amen. If you will go ahead and give, and as you prepare to give, it is my honor and privilege to introduce our preacher for tonight. Uh, our preacher is the Reverend Dr. Maurice Watson. He is the sixth pastor uh, 
of the Historic Metropolitan Baptist Church in Largo, Maryland. Uh, he went there after having served 10 years as a senior pastor of the Beulah Land Bible Church in Macon, Georgia. He's a native of Little Rock, Arkansas, and since the age of 16, Dr. Maurice Watson has been proclaiming the unsearchable riches of our Lord's gospel. He pastored the St. Mark Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where he attended the Philander Smith College. And then he went to pastor the Salem Baptist Church in Omaha, Nebraska, where he served for 15 and a half years and grew that church to nearly 4,000 members and built a $3 million uh, edifice as far as worship space is concerned. And then he went to Beulah Land Baptist Church where the Lord allowed for him to build another church there. And then of course expand that space and grow that church numerically, physically, and financially, but more important, spiritually. And then he left that church to go and follow uh, one of um, what we would consider to be uh, our preaching heroes, the Reverend Dr. H. Peter Hicks at the Metropolitan Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. that later moved to Largo, Maryland. He's a learned brother, a graduate of Philander Smith College. Uh, he has a Master of Arts degree in Theology from Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, and he earned a Doctor of Ministry degree from Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama. He is a, a preacher par excellence, well sought after revivalist. He has preached on numerous occasions at the Hampton University Ministers Conference. This week here at St. Paul, we had our own Hampton University preaching conference where all three preachers have shared on their prestigious and prominent platform. So it is my joy, I wish he was able to be here in person, but it is my joy to introduce this preacher to the St. Paul Church. So I want you to, if you would, buckle down, pray for him and with him, that the word that the Lord has given for him to share this evening will bless you in a tremendous way. Do me a favor, if you would, put your hands together and bless our adult ensemble as they come to give us the Simonic Selection. Doubt us 
and be glad in it how many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord on tonight I certainly want to take this moment to recognize the angel of this house the shepherd of this flock the pastor of this church your pastor and my friend of many years the Reverend Dr. Robert Scott I want to thank you Dr. Scott for inviting me to share with you and the St. Paul Baptist Church in this your March Madness Revival I certainly want to acknowledge all of the disciples and members of that great church. It is my honor and my privilege and joy to come to you tonight uh, in the Word of God. So let's get ready. Get your Bibles out and let's get ready to get into God's Word. There's a word I'd like to share with you found in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. And I want to read into your hearing verses 47 through 56 Matthew chapter 26 verses 47 through 56 I'm reading from the New King James Bible if you found it might you indicate as such by saying amen, amen. and while he was still speaking behold Judas one of the twelve with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he'll revive me with more than 12 legions of angels? 
How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as a gangster robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. I want to put a tag on this text, and I, I want to talk about the paradox of power. The paradox of power. The man said he was looking for a one-armed lawyer. One-armed lawyer, his friend asked, how come? The reply came quickly, I'm looking for an attorney who won't say on the one hand, on the other hand. Ernest Campbell has suggested that some truths require two hands. Philosophers call such truths paradoxes. A paradox consists of two statements about a reality that seem to contradict each other, neither of which is complete without the other. We have in this passage today a series of strange paradoxes in our text. They can be seen in this encounter between Jesus and Judas. How strange it is that the most powerful man in the world appeared so powerless. He would be completely at the control of the Roman soldiers who were guarding him. He was about to be arrested by an angry mob, tried in a kangaroo court, and crucified as a common criminal on a cross. He had no army to fight for him, no military power. He had no friends in high places, no political power. He had no money or land to give in exchange for his freedom, no economic power. All of his disciples would eventually forsake him. By all practical appearances, it, is, it seemed that Jesus was the least powerful man in Palestine. But the overriding paradox of the passion scene is that at that very moment, Jesus was the most powerful man, not only in Palestine, but he was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He was not at the, at the, at the control, if you will, of Judas or the mob or the Roman soldiers. No, on the contrary, they were under his control. That's the strange paradox of power. To be so powerful and yet appear so powerless. Powerlessness is antithetical to our human nature, is it not? Alan Perkins has suggested that it's frustrating to feel powerless, isn't it? That no one likes to feel powerless, to feel like things are happening beyond your control. Things are happening to you without your consent. And when one feels powerless, one feels the urge to do something dramatic just to prove to himself or herself that he or she is not powerless. And so we do something dramatic or we do something dangerous or maybe even harmful just to prove uh, 
that we are not powerless. A man feels powerless on his job. His boss is always riding him, controlling him, boxing him in. And so one day to prove that he's not powerless, he gets the nerve to tell his boss to take this job and shove it. A woman feels powerless in her marriage. Her husband is a tyrant. And so she quits. She leaves or she, she files for a divorce or she even has an affair just to prove to herself that she has some control over her own life. A teenager resents the authority and control of her parents and so she acts out in destructive ways by getting involved with drugs and sex just to prove her independence. And yet, friends, we learn a valuable lesson from Jesus in this text. And that is that we are most powerful when our lives are submitted to the plans and purposes of God. While he was still speaking, he was first to notice what his sleepy disciples did not. He could hear the measured marching of the Roman soldiers along with the mob. He caught wits. The silhouette of the swarming mob carrying their swords and their clubs. But worst of all, he saw his traitor guiding the party through the garden, through to his familiar place of recluse. Let us be going, Jesus said. See, my betrayer is still at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas and the mob showed up. But what would Jesus do at such a critical hour? Would he fight? Would he run? Would he annihilate his enemies on the spot? Or would he use his divine power and simply vanish out of their sight? But no, with a calm, calculated, and controlled resolve, Jesus allowed himself to be arrested by the mob. What, what a strange paradox of power. To be so powerful and yet appear so powerless. And so in a telling series of paradoxes, Jesus shows us what true power really is. That to be truly powerful is to submit your life to the plans and purposes of God. And so look with me for a moment, if you will, at these paradoxical movements. I just want you to notice the paradoxes of the passage. I'll make some comments and I'll soon be in my seat. First, first, first paradox we notice in this text is that Jesus had the power to call his enemy his friend. Look at verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Matthew and the other synoptic writers are careful to point out that, G that Judas was one of the twelve in order to highlight his treachery, if you will, and his guilt, that one of his own disciples would betray him. The Bible tells us that Judas came 
not by himself, but with a mob of people. This mob no doubt consisted of some hired men, some temple guards, and a contingency of Roman soldiers. They came that night armed to the teeth. The scripture says that they were carrying swords and clubs as if they had intended to arrest a serious criminal so that there would be no mistakes made in the darkness. Judas had given the Roman soldiers uh, a clue. He said, whoever I kiss, he's the one. That's the sign you ought to look for. Seize him. And the Bible tells us that in verse 49, Judas walks up to Jesus and kissed him on the cheek and said to Jesus, greetings, rabbi. Oh, brothers and sisters, that word, that word kiss in verse 49 is a stronger word than the word kiss in verse 48. In verse 48, the word kiss simply means to simply kiss on both sides of the cheek. A common greeting that is used even to this day in the Middle East. But in verse 49, that word kiss there is a stronger word. It means to kiss fervently. To kiss repeatedly. That over and over again, Judas fervently kissed Jesus. It is the same word that is used to describe uh, how the prodigal, uh, how the the father of the prodigal son kissed him when his son came back from the far country. Repeatedly, Judas kissed Jesus. Don't you hate being around people like Judas? Fake, phony, and false folk like Judas. I mean, if you're going to be my enemy, then go on and be my enemy. Come out of the closet and be my enemy. But don't smile in my face and stick a knife in my back. But Jesus, what would Jesus do when Judas kissed him? Jesus could have withdrawn himself from Judas. Or Jesus could have scolded Judas and said, how dare you kiss me? Or Jesus could have annihilated Judas on the spot and wiped him out. But instead, the writer tells us that Jesus endured the treacherous kiss of Judas and Jesus responded to Judas in verse 50 and simply said, Friend, why have you come? Oh, what a strange paradox of power. That Jesus was able to call his enemy his friend. Friend, why have you come? Uh, I'm a fan of the Godfather movies, I'm the Godfather trilogy. Godfather 1, 2, and 3, I try to encourage everybody to watch Godfather. You can learn a lot from watching this gangster family. But in Godfather 3, Michael Corleone, the head of the uh, Corleone family, had decided to step down from being the boss of the family. He turned the family's business over to his young nephew, Vincent Mancini. Young Mancini wanted to settle some old scores uh, with some enemies of the family. But the old Don said to his nephew, he said, never hate your enemies because it clouds your judgment. How interesting it is that the words of a gangster seem to parallel the sentiments of the Savior who said, bless those who curse you. 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who do evil to you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. What a strange paradox of power that Jesus was able to call and treat his enemy as if his enemy were really his friend. But I submit to you that perhaps the reason Jesus was able to treat his enemy as his friend is because Jesus ultimately knew the role that Judas would play toward pushing him into his destiny and into his purpose. A few hours earlier, Jesus said to his disciples who had gathered with him, he said, fellows, whom do men say that I am? Some began to raise their hands and said, I got it, you are Elijah. Others said, you are Jeremiah. Others said, you are one of the big shots of the Old Testament. Peter raised his hand and said, I got it, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well, Peter, you got it right. But the only reason you got it right is because my daddy gave you the cheat sheet. But listen, fellas, let me tell you that in a few days, I'm going to go to Calvary's cross and they're going to crucify me out on the cross and Peter who was Jesus's friend did not want to see Jesus his friend experience the pain of Calvary and so Peter big mouth Peter called himself rebuking Jesus and said be that far from you Lord and Jesus turned around and looked at Peter who is his friend and called his friend the devil he said get behind me Satan <laughs> In other words, Peter, I know you're my friend, and because you're my friend, you don't want me to experience the pain of Calvary. But Peter, my purpose for coming into the world in the first place is that I might experience Calvary's pain. And a matter of fact, Peter, if I don't experience the pain of the cross, you're going to still be in your sins. And a few hours later, Judas and the mob shows up in the garden, and Judas kissed Jesus, and Jesus called Judas his friend. Friend, why have you come? Don't, don't run over that. Jesus called his, his friend the devil because his friend didn't want to see him experience the pain of the cross. But then Jesus calls his enemy his friend. He says, Judas, I know you. You're my enemy. I know. I know you're going to cause me some pain, Judas. But I'm not worried about it because the pain, Judas, that you're going to call me, cause me, is only going to push me into my purpose and into my destiny. Come here, let me tell you something. You need a Judas in your life. Oh, you need a Judas. Everybody needs a Judas. You better thank God for your Judases because your Judases will make you pray. Your Judases will drive you to your knees. Your Judases will make you get closer to God. Oh, brother and sister, matter of fact, you ought to go home and write a thank you note to all of your Judases and all of your enemies. Dear enemy, thank you for talking about me. Dear enemy, thank Thank you for dogging me out. Dear enemy, thank you for every mean and cruel thing that you ever did toward me to hurt me because the pain that you caused me only pushed me further into my purpose and into my destiny. What a strange paradox of power that Jesus had the power to call his enemy his friend. But wait, there's a second paradox in this little passage that I've read into your hearing, and it is this, that Jesus had the power to set men free, but he allowed himself to be bound. 
verse 50 says, then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. That is, they forcibly uh, seized him. They arrested Jesus. But wait a minute. How could they? What a strange paradox of power. How could they have arrested Jesus? He could have resisted them, but he didn't. He could have annihilated every one of them on the spot, but he didn't. He could have disappeared out of their sight, but he didn't. But instead, he allowed himself to be bound by a mob. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a strange paradox of power. The very Savior who came to set the captives free is now being bound by an angry mob. Oh, brothers and sisters, what was that? How could they have arrested Christ when he had the power to set others free? Peter got a, became angry, grabbed a sword, and tried to decapitate one of the servants of the high priest. He missed his mark and ended up cutting the man's ear off. Jesus grabbed his ear and healed him on the spot and then told Peter, put your sword up. Jesus would not allow even his disciples to resort to violence in his defense. He said, wait a minute, Peter, if I wanted to fight, I know how to fight. Matter of fact, I don't need your help if I really wanted to fight. Do you not, verse 53, do you not now think that I can pray to my father and my father in heaven will send 12 legions of angels? Now, a legion was a was was a group of Roman soldiers that numbered about six thousand Roman soldiers, six thousand Roman legionnaires. So twelve legions of of of, of angels would have been equivalent to seventy two thousand angels. Uh, now, now, before you run over that, let me remind you of what one angel was able to do in Second Kings chapter nineteen, verse thirty five. We read where one angel killed a hundred. 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Now, if one angel could wipe out 185,000, what do you think 72,000 angels could do? In other words, Peter, if I wanted to fight, I know how to fight. I don't need your help, so put your sword up. I'm going to handle this non-violently. I submit to you that that's a strange paradox of power. It was as if Jesus were invited to a fight that he knew he could win, but he refused to fight. Now, had I been there that night, had I been there, I would I would have said, get him, Jesus. Get him, get him, get him, get him, Jesus. Don't you take that. Get him, Jesus. Don't you let them talk to you like that. Get him, Jesus. You see, I wanted to, I would have practiced a get him theology. Get him, Jesus. But Jesus instead practiced a take it theology. That sometimes when you know you can win a fight, you decide not to fight, but to take it because you're representing a higher reason and a higher kingdom. I submit to you that that's a strange paradox of power. For Jesus had the power to set other people free, but he allowed himself to be bound by a mob carrying swords and clubs. But I submit to you, what was it that held Jesus back? What is it? It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't those shackles they put on his hands. 
It wasn't even the nails that were in his hands and feet on the cross. The thing that held Jesus, he was held and bound by a higher power. And that is the power of love. Greater love has no man than this. That a man would lay down his life for his friend. Strange paradox of power to be so powerful and yet appear so powerless. But wait, there's one last paradox and I'm going to be in my seat. Here it is. Jesus thirdly had the power to win by appearing to lose. He had the power to win by appearing to lose. Everything in the garden scene that night looked as if Jesus had lost. He was arrested by an angry mob carrying swords and clubs. One of his own disciples betrayed him and led the arresting party to his hideout in the garden. All of his disciples would forsake him. He was there by himself. But for all appearances, Jesus looked as if he had lost. It looked like the enemy had Jesus in checkmate. But Jesus, in spite of how it looked, was confident that he was going to win. Because in spite of the fact that his enemies had plans, Jesus knew that God had greater plans. That Judas, the mob, and the Roman soldiers had what they thought was a foolproof plan. Their plan was to arrest Jesus, try Jesus, and kill Jesus. They were hell-bent on getting rid of this revolutionary, this, this, this controversial revolutionary. But they didn't understand that while they had their evil plans, that God was supernaturally and sovereignly working behind the scenes, using their evil plans in order to bring about God's greater plan. Matter of fact, Jesus tells us in verses 54 and 56, Jesus tells the crowd, he said, now the reason I'm going to allow you to arrest me and try me and even kill me, verse 54 and verse 56, he says, it's so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In other words, while you are working your evil plan to destroy my life, God is using your evil plan to fulfill his scriptural plans, his salvific plans for humankind. Oh, brothers and sisters. And so Jesus uh, had the power to win by appearing to lose. Jesus was willing to trust the Lord to lose in order to win. So the question that I ask today is, can you trust God to lose in order to win? Have you ever been in a situation in which you found yourself having to lose in order to win? A boss on your job treated you unfairly, but instead of you retaliating, you held your peace. You had to lose in order to win. A friend of many years betrayed your trust, but instead of you ending the relationship, you recognized that she needed you more than you needed her. You had to lose in order to win. A child rebels against everything that you have taught them and stand for. But instead of giving up on that 
that child, you put him in the hands of God. You had to lose in order to win. Uh, you saw a person, you spoke to a person the other day and said hello to them. And you know they hurt you, but they ignored you. But instead of you giving them a piece of your mind, you told them, well, have a good day anyway. You had to lose in order to win. Somebody did you wrong, but instead of you getting even with them or getting revenge on them, uh, you prayed for them. You had to lose in order to win. Our Christian faith sometimes causes us to have to face this difficult paradox that sometimes we have to be willing to lose in order to win. As a matter of fact, much of uh, our Christian faith was built on paradoxical principles. Listen to Jesus when he said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's a paradox. Listen to Jesus when he said if they hit you on one cheek turn the other. That's a paradox. Listen to Jesus when he said he that humbles himself shall be exalted but he that exalts himself shall be brought down. That's a paradox. The reality friends is that Jesus is teaching us that sometimes you've got to lose in order to win. But this is antithetical to our win at all cost uh, reality. We were taught from children up that you got to win. You got to become a, come be, be, be number one. You got to uh, come out uh, ahead of everybody. But Jesus reminds us today that the message of Easter is that you've got to be willing sometimes to lose in order to win. The message of Easter says that we can trust God if we have to be uh, uh, arrested on Thursday, crucified on Friday, go to hell on Saturday because we believe God has greater plans for us on Resurrection Sunday morning. That sometimes you've got to be willing to lose in order to win. That's what Joseph understood when his brothers remember when they hated him and threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery. Of, but when Joseph came to the end uh, of the situation, he was able to look back through the rearview mirror at everything that his brothers had done to hold him back. And Joseph, who had risen to being second in command, only the Pharaoh, was able to tell his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God minute for my good. In other words, Joseph understood sometimes you gotta lose in order to win. Let me see how I can get out of here. It is, it is back in October 1974. It was billed as the greatest boxing match of the 20th century. It was called a rumble in the jungle. Muhammad Ali was, was up against George Foreman. Now George Foreman was known as the most powerful boxer of his day. The hardest puncher of his day. He was younger than Ali and stronger than Ali. By now in 74, Ali is no longer the same Cassius Clay that he once was when he 
beat Sonny Liston as a younger fighter. He's, he's older now. He's lost a step or two. He can't float like a butterfly and sting like a bee like he used to be able to. So everybody said there's no way that Ali is going to beat George Foreman. George Foreman is stronger. George Foreman is bigger. George Foreman punches harder. There's no way. The pundit said Ali has no chance. Well, when the fight started, Ali did something that nobody expected him to do. Instead of coming out dancing and punching and jabbing, he laid against the rope and covered himself up and allowed George Foreman to wail on him and wail on him. And his corner, Ali's corner, were bamming on the floor saying, get off the rope, get off the rope. But Ali stayed against the rope. It was a strategy that we now know is what he called a rope-a-dope. He said, I, I, Foreman is bigger, Foreman is stronger, but if, if I'm going to win, i got to lose for a while. And for seven rounds, Ali allowed Foreman to punch him over and over again with everything he had, and he laid against the rope. But in round number eight, Muhammad Ali had his Popeye moment. He said, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. And Ali came out swinging and knocked George Foreman out. He had to lose in order to win. And that's all Jesus was doing there in that garden. He was just laying against the rope. When that crowd came and arrested him, he was laying against the rope. When they marched him from Judgment Hall to Judgment Hall, he was laying against the rope. When they, uh, uh, when they, when they crucified him on a cross, put nails in his hands and nails in his feet, he was laying against the rope. When they hung him high, stretched him wide, and dropped him low, he was laying against the rope. But all this Sunday morning, my Jesus and your Jesus, my Savior and your Savior came out swinging, and he knocked the devil out and stole the victory from death, hell, and the grave. Jesus said, sometimes you got to lose in order to win. That's my message to somebody tonight. And today, as you leave here, I want you to know that there are going to be some fights you know you can win. But instead of winning them, be willing and humble enough to lose in order to win. When that spouse wants to start an argument with you, here's my advice, lose. When that boss on your job is giving you every, every, every trouble that you can define, instead of giving him a piece of your mind, lose. Sometimes you got to lose in order to win. Charles Tinkley said it was. He said, beams of heaven as I go through this wilderness below, guide my feet in peaceful ways, turn my midnight into day, in the darkness, I would grow faith, always sees a star of hope, and soon from all that grief and sorrow, I shall be free, the harder yet may be to fight, right may often yield to my wickedness, a while may reign, Satan's call may sing again, but there is a call, who rules above, But sometimes you got to be willing 
to lose in order to win. If you receive that, give the Lord praise. Wow. Come on, give God praise right now on Facebook, on YouTube, in our Vimeo, on our Zoom congregation. Give the Lord a praise. Thank you, Dr. Maurice Watson, for such a powerful word, the paradox of power. And uh, that's how we're saved. We're saved through a paradox. And, and I want to thank Dr. Watson for blessing us in his own uh, powerful homiletical way. He is a preacher par excellence. We have been blessed this week. And I don't want to take for granted that there's, uh, that everyone is watching us right now either has a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or is connected to a church. And so what I want to do tonight is I want you to get connected as far as the one who operates in a paradox. He died that you might live. That's a paradox. He takes our sins and wash them in his red blood and make us pure as gold. That's a paradox. He who knew no sin became sin that you and I might take on the righteousness of God. That's a, that's a paradox. That's a paradox. And so I, I, I want you to step into this paradox right now. That you who've done wrong, born in sin and shaped in iniquity can have eternal life. But the way to have that eternal life is by having a connection, a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to lead you in a prayer. Prayer of new life, prayer of brand new start. And if this prayer touches you, if this prayer connects with you, if this prayer hits you, I want you to follow some directions in just a moment. So if you would, just repeat this prayer after me. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins. I believe you raised him from the dead three days after his death. I believe one day he's coming back. But until then, send your Holy Spirit into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me the person you want me to be. In the name of your son, Jesus, my Savior and my Lord, I pray this prayer. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, you meant that prayer in your head and your heart. You meant that prayer in your mind and your spirit. Salvation is yours. Is it really that easy? Yes, it is. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by how much money you give. You're not even saved by how often you come to church or how much you read your Bible. You are saved by your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, sincerely, salvation is yours. But salvation is the entry. God has so much more for you. And so what I want you to do right now, if you prayed that prayer and that prayer was just for you and you want a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're watching us on Facebook, if you're watching us on YouTube, if you're watching us as far as our church online is concerned, type in salvation. One of our digital ministers or social media influencers will reach out to you and let you know what the next steps are. If you are listening to us on the phone, if you would call the church office at 704-334-5309, leave your name 
and a good number to contact you and just say, hey, I heard the pastor saying that I could call this number if I want to be saved. What should I do next? Someone will get in touch with you by five o'clock tomorrow. There are others who are watching us right now saying, well, hey, I'm already saved, but I would love to make St. Paul my tribe. We would love to do life with you. I would love to be your pastor. So if you're watching us right now and you want a church home, just type in connect on the platform, wherever you are in that chat box. One of our digital ministers will reach out to you or call the church office 704-334-5309 and tell them, listen, I heard the preacher talk about joining the church. I want to join St. Paul. We would love to have you leave your name and a good contact number and someone will reach out to you. Amen. 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 Our church is still growing via technology in this virtual digital space. We're still taking people in. I'm doing a CEO class, a new members class on Saturday. And so, hey, we continue to grow and we continue to become what God will have for us to be. Amen. I want you to do me one more favor. If this word blessed you tonight, if this word blessed you tonight, and if you don't mind sowing, I want you to sow a special offering. You can put it in the sacrificial offering as far as Givelify is concerned or whatever element or capacity in which you're given, just put it under sacrificial offering. And if you would, just sow right now into the life and the ministry of Dr. Maurice Watson. Uh, I'm going to sow as well. And, and let's be a blessing to him. Amen. So go ahead right now if you feel led to do that. And give beyond what you've given already. You heard me earlier talk about lifting up a couple of prayer concerns. We realize that people across this country have been devastated by uh, tornadic activity and harsh thunderstorms over the last couple of days from the deep south even through the Carolinas right now. And I want to pray for them as we prepare to leave from this place. We also want to lift up our Asian brothers and sisters who feel so lost and so devastated right now uh, that because of this negative rhetoric that has been perpetuated uh, by a previous administration uh, that they are now feeling the wrath of white supremacy. That's what it is. So we want to pray for them. We also want to pray for our brothers and sisters, particularly in Jackson, Mississippi and in St. Paul. I'm going to be coming to you all in a couple of weeks to ask that we would do something special to help our brothers and sisters who have a significant water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. And so um, we want to lift them in prayer right now. And so as we prepare to get ready to close out, I'm going to close us out with prayer and then I will shift to the benediction. But before I do that, I want to thank again, Reverend Peyton C. for leading us in worship tonight. Our adult ensemble for blessing us. Can you give God praise for our adult ensemble? They have blessed us in a tremendous way for our musicians. Can we give God praise for them? For George, Oscar, and James, and Scott, and Elson. Can you give God praise for our media ministry? Give God praise for them. They work so hard behind the scene. Thank you all. And of course, to our staff. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we will have benediction. God, we thank you for three 
awesome, incredible nights of March gladness. Thank you for Dr. Charles Goodman, Dr. Gina Stewart, and Dr. Maurice Watson, and for the rhema words that you gave them for us. I want to thank you, God, for each and every person who has joined us each and every night via technology. I thank you, God, for each and every person who has given of his or her time to provide music and to lead worship and to serve in the media ministry. Thank you, oh God, for our partners. I want to thank you, God, for you being who you are. You're, 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 just, you're just a mind blower in how you have allowed for us to manage a year in this pandemic. And yet, Lord, we haven't lost not lost in the sense of what folks think, but through losing, we've done a lot of gaining. God, right now we come and we lift up the various prayer concerns of those who are sick and shut in. We lift up those who are going through grief and dealing with loss. God, we lift up our brothers and sisters in the Asian uh, community who are dealing with and understanding what we as African Americans deal with as far as racism is concerned. We lift up persons who may have been impacted by these bad thunderstorms and tornadic activity over the last few days. We lift up our brothers and sisters, particularly in Jackson, who are dealing with a significant water crisis right now. And we pray, oh God, that you will uh, empower us here at St. Paul to do what we can to be a blessing as far as that's concerned. And, and on Resurrection Sunday, God, I will be making a special appeal to our congregation to be a blessing to them. God, we want to thank you for what our eyes have seen and our ears have heard and our spirits have experienced in this place. And as we prepare to leave from this place and space, but never from your power nor your presence, keep us in your sovereign care. And then, God, if you would, bring us back together on Sunday morning where we can worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, we pray. And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with all exceeding joy. So ask God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore. And the people of God in the house on screen and watching us said... Amen. Listen, I love you all. God loves you even more. I miss you all. Get vaccinated. Continue to wear your mask. Practice social distancing. Wash your hands. We're one day closer to coming back in. But until then, please, ma'am, please, sir, continue to take care of yourself. God bless you all. See you all later.